Uh, my name is John, um, pastoral apprentice here at Cross Point. I'm going to be opening up uh, Romans 10 with you today. Uh, we're following on the back of an amazing sermon uh, by Pastor Phil last week, and um, I do start by saying how frightening that is, uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm exceedingly grateful to be able to come up before you and, and, and even just read this text. Um, and I, I do I do pray we, we see how great our God is in it. Um, last week, uh, Pastor Phil opened up for us Romans 9, and he displayed all throughout how God's mercy is at the center of Romans 9. And I want us today to take that idea forward, and, and, and I think Paul does here in Romans 10, and he says that he illuminates God's mercy as gospel ministry. As I said, it is a little bit frightening, especially even just a passage like Romans 9, trying to come after so, such a powerful uh, presentation. It, it can be a little bit off-putting, but I want to—I think I've heard anyway that uh, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So I'm going to borrow from uh, Pastor Phil's uh, big idea today. And my, my big idea is going to be gospel ministry is how God calls his children home. Gospel ministry is how God calls his children home. With this idea, I kind of want to head off some objections that might be circulating. I know coming off Romans 9, it can be, um, some, some can, can think falsely that, that this affects evangelism somehow, or that this would affect our zeal for the lost. If, if God is the one that chooses, where does that leave us in gospel ministry? And, and I think Paul heads that off right away. He saw that objection coming, just like he saw many objections in 9. And that's why 10 follows 9. God is the one who chooses. And I want to say that plainly. But he's also the one who decides how his children are chosen. That's Romans 10. Gospel ministry rides on the back of God's mercy. In these chapters, uh, there is an understanding that gospel ministry, ministry cannot be accomplished without the power of our sovereign God. The Holy Spirit is declaring through, through this passage the inability of man on his own through any form of gift, special giftings or through service or through um, even in a, a pleasant atmosphere in an auditorium to save even a single soul. That, that is a work of God alone and That's where gospel ministry comes in. Gospel ministry is the power of God at work through the foolishness of men preaching his word. We're all a part of this. God God is calling his children home, but we all have a part to play in God calling his children home. Now, we have a a large text today. We've got 21 verses. Um, I don't know... That will get through all of them, to be honest. I've broken it into four points. Um, we may see three points on the screen here. I, I, I don't anticipate I'll get to the fourth. But the first point is going to be gospel prayers. Uh, second point, we're going to look at gospel profession. Third point, gospel proclamation. And, and depending on how fast that clock decides to go today, we might get to gospel promises. Um, we're going to be in Romans 10. We're going to start in verse 1, but I want to, I want to open us up in prayer. So while, while you're turning there or while you're getting your phones on, 
uh, if you just uh, pray with me. Father, we come before you in the glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ to celebrate your grace, your hope, your salvation, your sovereignty. We worship you and rejoice in the love that you've shown us in and through your Son. As we prepare to open your word, we ask the Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts, in our minds, preparing us for the message, and through it, building us in the likeness of your Son. We ask your blessing on this message, that your word would go forth in power, that you'd be glorified, and your people set afire with zeal for your lost children. Lord, I ask, uh, use us as you call your children home. I ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So we're going to start uh, Romans chapter 10, right there in in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness that is based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. I'm going to break, break off there for just a minute. And we're, going to, we're going to look at those those two verses. Over the last two chapters, Paul has been declaring his heart's desire for Israel. He even says in Romans 9, he says, uh, I would suffer anguish on their behalf if they would be saved. He is calling in sincere prayer to God that those that are far from him would be brought close by his grace. Paul has an understanding, and, and it goes throughout this entire section of Scripture, there's an understanding here that without Christ... Men is condemned. There's an eternal separation from God coming to all those without Christ. And that underlies his entire motive throughout. He's calling out in prayer for salvation. But I want us to see even clearer who Paul is calling out for salvation for. These people that, this Israel, these brothers of his that he's calling out in salvation, or these, um, um, The people he's calling out for salvation for are the same people he speaks of in 2 Corinthians 11. In that chapter, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That same passage, he goes on, On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. His own people are are the same people written of by Luke in, in Acts 14. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. This is who Paul is praying for. These are the people Paul is praying for. And through all of it, he's not praying for the persecution to end. He's not even asking for the beatings to stop or that he has a clear uh, road to preach the gospel. No, his prayers are focused. He's asking for the salvation of those that are bent on his death. 
This is the beginning of God's calling his children home. It's prayer for those that are far from God that he would move in grace to bring them close. To understand that there is an eternal destiny in front of them. And they can choose which we, the choice is laid before them of heaven and hell. And it's before them and it's our duty, our call then. To get on our knees and call out to God for their salvation. Gospel ministry is intercession in gospel prayers. And that's how Paul opens this passage. He shows us Israel has rejected Christ in the next couple of lines, couple of verses. He shows us Israel's rejection of Christ. How did he re- they reject him? By seeking a righteousness of their own, apart from the righteousness of God. Paul's telling us that to attain God's righteousness through our good works is like trying to climb to heaven and and bring Christ back down. He's telling us that if we think we can attain God's righteousness by obedience to the law, it's like trying to bring Christ back up from the dead. It's absurd. It's a fundamental denial of the reality that Christ came, was born of a virgin, lived that sinless life, died on the cross, and rose again. That, That is what the Jews were denying. Jesus alone provides God's righteousness. There is no salvation in any other. To seek God by the law is to miss the point altogether. Scripture tells us the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We've, we've talked about the law a lot recently, so I'm not going to go any further into that part of the, the, the passage. But I want us to see all around us there are a people zealous after a God of their own making, after a God of their own bellies, a God of their own desires. I want us to look at atheists. Atheists serve a God zealously. They make themselves God. And they'll do anything to maintain that understanding. To the fact that evolution is a theory that is based in fantasy for the purpose of allowing atheists to maintain control of their universe. It's the reality of that situation. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, they serve a, a God more aggressively than most true Christians, and yet they serve a God that's made up in the imaginations of their religion's founders. Catholics throughout the world serve a God zealously as they try all they can to earn enough grace to lessen their time in purgatory where they'll be planning on burning off the remaining sin that their Christ could not atone for. Those that are spiritual and not religious, minor questioning often brings out of them, yeah, I made a God up of my own liking. A God that, that does what I like, wants what I want for me. These are those who are zealous after a God, but have a lack of knowledge of the true God. And unlike Paul, I've never had a Jehovah's Witness knock on my door and attempt to stone me. But like Paul, I can reach out to them in prayer. I I can be on my knees for their salvation. Now, um, I know that Dave in the announcements, put forth the, uh, not the invite cards, but the invest cards. 
the idea we're getting the three names on there to pray for, to bring them into uh, the service on our uh, one-year anniversary. This is, this is a, a worthy goal, and we, we all need to be doing it. If you haven't done it yet, there are cards in your bulletins. There's also cards I saw on the back foyer tables. But let's focus our prayers even more. And I, I heard him even touch on this. Let's focus our prayers. Let's pray for their salvation. Let's pray that God moves in grace for the three people that we put on these cards. That we're not just praying to bring them in. A lot of times we're praying, and, and prayer doesn't, isn't always our problem. We're, we're praying for comfort. We're praying for protection. We're praying for guidance. But I, I'd beg to, to say that uh, we're not often enough on our knees before God for the salvation of those around us. And, and I, I think this passage calls for us to pray for the salvation of our people. And I, I ask, will you join together as a church in the next weeks before our, well, in the next weeks and years, but will you join together with a church and pray gospel prayers for the salvation of the people all around us. 17th century preacher and author John Bunyan, he said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Gospel ministry begins with gospel prayers, and gospel prayers are God's mercy at work through his people. This brings us to our second point, and we're going to be in verse 8. This is a pickup from the righteousness based on faith speaking in in verses 6 and 7. But it says in verse 8, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul declares the message is near us. He even puts it in our mouths. What is the message? The message is the gospel, the word of faith. The gospel profession of Jesus is Lord. We need the gospel in our mouths because the gospel is what calls men or calls men to call on the Lord and be saved. But confession of Jesus is Lord is more than saying Jesus is God. Even the demons throughout the New Testament call out as Jesus is walking around and declare him God. And in James it tells us, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe that Jesus is God. There must be more to our confession. There must be more to the message we're preaching. Romans 6, a few weeks ago, declared that we are slaves of Christ. And and 1 Corinthians 7 says we are bought with a price. The reality is you are owned. If, If you are in Christ, then he is Lord of your life. In the first few centuries of the church... 
and even today in the Middle East, there is a reality that profession of Jesus is Lord is a death sentence. This message that we're preaching, this message of salvation is not one of your best life now. The grace that is offered in Christ is not fulfillment of your every desire. It's not. The word of faith that Paul preaches is the same word that Christ preached. Take up your cross and follow me. In the first century, people would have known what it meant to take up their cross. People would have seen men dragging their crosses up the hillside. And they would have later seen them hanging on those same crosses on that same hillside. Confession of Jesus is Lord if you're truly saved. Is belief that you're willing to die for. We need to be clear what we're preaching. We need to be clear what we're praying for. The gospel call is, is a call to repentance and faith in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's a call to give up our lives and find true life in Christ alone. It is a call of submission to Jesus as Lord. Missionary preacher and uh, evangelist Paul Washer did an interview um, uh, some time ago, and he was talking about how he preaches in hostile nations and, and the message that he preaches. And he says he makes it clear to those that he's professing to and that are potential converts that this message that I preach may very well kill you. That if you're not willing to die for Christ, then you're not worthy of Christ. And he makes it clear that if you will deny him before men, then Christ will deny you before God. This is gospel profession, and it needs to be that serious. It needs to be that important. Now we know what we're proclaiming. We're going to move on to gospel proclamation next. Um, Point three begins in, in verse 14. But how are they to call on him in whom they've never believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I want you to listen to Paul here. How will they believe in whom they've never heard? How will they hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. The gospel message is a spoken message by definition. The Christian life, the call of the Christian is to proclaim it by definition. I want to make this point as clear as I possibly can, and I I won't be able to do it as well as Charles Spurgeon did. So I'm going to leave this to him, preacher, prince of preachers as he's called. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says, 
Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself, be sure of that. Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. You can be sure of that. And he continues, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there, unwarned or unprayed for. Pray over the lost souls in your life. Pray for them. But don't stop there. Gospel ministry is gospel proclamation. The the, the scriptures are clear on this. Go and preach the gospel. The word that dwells on your lips and in your heart, let it go forth in power, in the power of God. Go and make disciples of all nations. But he said, wherever you are, wherever there are people, that is where you are called to be making disciples. That is where you are called to be proclaiming the message of reconciliation. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit as witnesses of the glory of God to the ends of the earth with the message of the gospel. Or the ends of your block. Or the ends of your house. I do devotionals with a three-year-old. I know what it's like to preach the gospel and have in response, are we done now? I get it. This is our call. I want us to look specifically at this call. I don't want you to take it from me that this is our call. I want scripture to tell you plainly, this is our call. If you would, if you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be reading, starting in verse 17. I want us to see that as part of our reconciliation with God, we are called to the ministry of reconciliation, gospel ministry. Starting verse 17. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sins he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. but they'll reject me. And, and I'm not comfortable proclaiming such a divisive and controversial message. I ask, do you think this message and this persecution that you're anticipating caught the Lord off guard? 
John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he continues in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The persecution didn't catch him off guard, and it shouldn't catch us off guard either, but the reality reality is we were sent. And Paul, in this passage again, he sees this, this fear, but he points us. He points our eyes away from the persecution, and he points our eyes to the salvation of men. The message we preach brings salvation, and that's where our focus needs to be. How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news? Now, this originally is a passage from Isaiah. And and in Isaiah, it's speaking of the return of Israel to their promised land, the, the release of Israel from captivity and bondage in Babylon. And Paul has taken that passage and he's utilizing it to show us that we are proclaiming the message of freedom from captivity, freedom from bondage. While people may reject us, the one who hears the call of his Lord in our gospel proclamation will praise God that he sent us. When through our prayer over and our proclamation of his word, he saves a lost sinner on their way to hell, that is immeasurable joy. There is no greater joy than to see one of his children come home and we can rejoice with him Like Isaiah, our message is freedom from captivity. And we go forth with the key to their cell. The gospel is declaring the end of the bondage to sin and flesh and the devil. And the freedom of life in Christ. Gospel ministry is how God calls his people home. I was discussing this sermon with Dave and... And I often go through a lot of my ideas with him. And he, he said something that I, I want to repeat. Um, he said that this, speaking of this passage, we go in the power of prayer and of zeal and of the confidence granted by God's word. We go in forth in the power of prayer, in zeal, and in the confidence granted by God's word. That's, that's Romans 10. That, that's what that is. And uh, I want us to see this salvation process that we're speaking of. I I want us to see it more clearly, and I I have not found, and I can't think of a better passage to do this than Ezekiel 37. So again, I know we're bouncing a little bit, but I I appreciate it if you would go to Ezekiel 37. We're going to read the first ten verses of that chapter. This chapter opens up for us the beauty of gospel ministry. This is how it works. Starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophecy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to those bones, Behold, 
I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied. And as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophecy to the breath. Prophecy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied. As he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Ezekiel is one man, alone, looking over an entire army of dead men and dry bones. Multiple times God commands him, prophecy over these dry bones. And Ezekiel knows there's nothing he can do to bring dry bones to life. A field of dead men do not come to life no matter what I say to them. Ezekiel knows that. But he also, in obedience to the command of God, prophecies. The results are in the hands of God. He's just obedient to his call and he proclaims the word of faith. I want you to see we're surrounded every day by dead men and dry bones at the gas station, at the park, at our work, even in our own homes. Dead men, we're walking and talking with dead men that don't even know they're dead. These bones are dead in trespass and sin. They're under the condemnation of God righteously and rightfully. They deserve the hell they're headed for, but the reality is that there are among them those that the Lord has not yet called out from death unto life. We have been commanded as Ezekiel to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim reconciliation, to proclaim life. The results are up to God. Whether we we preach and, and no one responds, or if we preach and an entire army is raised before us, Only God can raise dry bones. Gospel ministry is how God calls his children home. How will they preach unless they are sent? Christians, we have been sent. You've been sent. I got time. I'm going to do it. We're going to go into point four. Uh, This one's gospel promises. Uh, The text isn't going to be up there, so if you do have your Bibles, I would like... You, to, you go back to Romans 10. It's the last three verses. We're beginning in, in verse 18. And I'm going to give you some time because we don't have it up there. Uh, it shouldn't take real long to get through this. I think, I think we're doing good. I want us to see in these last three verses how God has always been on the move to redeem people He has always been the initiator in salvation. Starting in verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth. 
But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. A disobedient and contrary people. God's holding out his hands to us. That was us before we knew Christ. A disobedient and contrary people. And if there is anybody in here that does not know Christ, this is you. And I ask, what more could God have done? The gospel declares that Christ came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived the perfect sinless life that you reject, took the death of the cross on your behalf, three days later rose from the grave, and ascended to heaven in front of hundreds of witnesses. What more could God have done to reach out to you? But he has done more. And God has shown himself in creation. And just as creation declares the glory of God, his children declare the glories of his message. His message goes forth in our mouths, from our mouths and from his word. Paul sees the scripture as the base of all faith and belief. That's where it all starts. And, and he calls throughout this passage on Isaiah, on Moses, on King David, on uh, Job. And he, he proclaims from them, from the scriptures, from their mouths, that there's only one way to God and it's always been the same. And that God has not sought just one people in Israel. That he has sought all people Even Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. A people who did not ask for him. That is us. We didn't know to ask. That is a call to salvation outside the narrow, limited confines of Israel itself. God, from Genesis to Revelation, has been calling a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to repent, to worship him in spirit and truth. Uh, From Moses in 1500 B.C. to King David, 1000 B.C. to Isaiah, 700 B.C. to Paul, 55 A.D. The message never changed. It was the same throughout. And that's what Paul's displaying for us in this passage. The Lord is the Lord of all. And even more than that, he is still speaking. He is still calling men to repent in him. I want you to look at verse 5. Moses says, verse 6, righteousness says. Verse 8, when it's speaking of the word, where is it? The word is near you. And in verse 11, Scripture says, verse 16, Isaiah says, verse 19, Moses says, verses 20 and 21, Isaiah says, not said, not past tense, says presently. The word is presently speaking. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is not some dusty old book. This isn't words written 2,000 years ago. This is God speaking and speaking today, speaking clearly. God is calling out. Are you listening? 
I've got a, I've got a, a, a what do we do now? I, I want to can we gather together in the months, in the weeks, in the years ahead, on our knees before God in gospel prayers, calling out for salvation? Can we preach the word, verbally proclaim the message of life to this dying world? Can we go in the power of zeal and in prayer and in the confidence granted by God's word to seek and to save the lost? Now, there may be some, again, as I said earlier, that, that, that don't know the Lord. And I want to tell you, if you've not submitted your life to Christ, then God is calling you today. His word is speaking today. It's calling you to repent, to put your faith in Christ alone, to, to put your faith in his finished work of the cross, that you would take your life and give it to him. Give up your life to find true life and in him. His resurrection can be yours unto new life if you were willing to give up. Repent and turn to him. I beg you, don't turn away from him today. He speaks clearly and he speaks loudly. For those of us in here that, that do know the Lord, that have been serving him, but maybe not as we ought. Maybe not to the obedience of the scriptures, obedience to faith that we ought. I want to I commend to us one possibility. Just a small thing. I'm calling us to proclaim the message. I'm calling us to proclaim faith. I'm calling us to pray. Is a bookmark. It's also a tract. They go quickly. People grab them up. It's people using torn up paper in their books all the time. It's very easy to hand them a bookmark. It also tells them the word. It tells them where to find the Lord and what they must do once they've found him. It's very simple. It proclaims for us. You can put them in gas station pumps. You can put them on the sink in, in, in bathroom, public restrooms. You can... Even if you're so bold, hand them to a person directly. Even if you have to run away right away afterwards. They speak when we're not courageous enough to speak. They, they speak clearly every time. And they never tire of proclaiming the message. Wherever you put them, they can be found and they still proclaim the same message. I want you to pray for the boldness to proclaim verbally to the lost around you the forgiveness of sins and the glories of our King. But until you can do that, I pray that you consider these tracks and um, allow them to be your boldness until the Lord grants you. Would you close with me in prayer? Lord, the grace you've extended us and, and the love you've shown us in your Son call us to repentance and faith, to respond by spreading that message. Please, Lord, grant a zeal to your church for prayer and for proclamation. 
Give us eyes to see the pain and suffering in this world with a mind towards the redemption that you are calling men to. As this chapter has shown that you are already calling us to this ministry, I I ask that you place a burden on our hearts to fulfill it. Your gospel should grant us courage, but we ask, Lord, for you to grant us courage and boldness. May we stand on your word in your strength, proclaiming your gospel and your glory. As you save as many as you have called, may your name be praised throughout the earth and and may you be glorified, we pray in, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, before we close here, again, a reminder, the Invest Cards. And I think John did a great job today in, um, in lighting a little bit of a fire under all of us to put names down on this card and to start to pray for these people, but also to start to actually witness to these people, verbally witness to these people. So my encouragement to each one of you is to fill out this card today with the people that God has put on your heart and to drop it in so that we as elders and leaders of this church can be praying for you and for these people at the same time. And so please do that today. That'd be awesome. All right, benediction for today comes directly from Romans 10. How beautiful, please bow with me. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The good news of God's victory, of peace and forgiveness available to all who believe. Go from here to share the good news with all you meet. And may the blessing of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit be among you and within you. Go in peace and proclaim his word. Amen.